be talking about a topic that I think is really, really significant. And it's the phenomenon of accountability. The phenomenon of accountability. We find that when it comes to physical goals, uh, we are much more likely, many times more likely, to accomplish our goals if we have a partner. If we have somebody who's working with us, who's supporting us, who's walking alongside us as we go through that journey together. I'll give you a quick example. Um, many years ago when I lived in Nashville, uh, I was in a, I was very committed to a workout plan. And uh, it was at 5.15 in the morning, it was the YMCA all the way across town, and uh, five days a week. And I very rarely missed and it wasn't because I like mornings. I'm still not a great morning person. And it wasn't because I liked getting up early and going and sweating. It was because I knew that Mike was going to be standing there at the door waiting for me. I knew he was going to be there. And just the very thought that he's going to be there to work out with me, he's going to be counting on me, he's looking, he's, he's looking forward to being with me. I don't want to let him down. And there were so many mornings that I would have rather just rolled back over and gone back to sleep, but I knew that I had to be there. And he told me that there were many mornings that he would have done the same if it hadn't been for the fact that I was going to be there. If we helped each other to be accountable. We helped each other to be successful. And because I knew he was there for me and he knew I was there for him, we both were more successful than we would have been on our own. That idea of teamwork, that idea of having that accountability, having that partner is something that helps us to accomplish our goals. And it is even more true when it comes to our spiritual goals. When it comes to our spiritual goals, having a teammate, having accountability is such a really important part of being successful. And one reason why this is so hard for us, it's so hard for us because it pushes against so much of our human nature. It pushes against so much of our popular culture and who we are. The, the blessings of accountability are countered by the realities of self-reliance. And this desire that we have, you know, here in America, we, we have this pull yourself up by your bootstraps, John Wayne through everything. I don't need anybody. I'm a silo. I'm a man to myself, an island of my own. We have so many of these things that we just are reinforced within us that I can do it myself. We're like a bunch of screaming three-year-olds running around. I do it myself. And we have this idea that we don't need anybody. Nothing could be further from the truth of Scripture. And nothing could be further from the truth of what we find in science that's just smart, just reasonable, just makes sense. According to a Pew survey that was done not too long ago, 81% of Americans have, quote, little confidence in other people. Only 20% 20 of people surveyed said that they have somebody that they can put legitimate trust in. 20%. 20% of people said they have somebody they can trust. One out of every five people are able to look around and say, I have somebody I can trust. Don't get me started on the fact that more than one in five are married, so there's a problem right there. But that's another day's sermon. We'll get into that another time. The, uh, the BMC Psychological Biomed Center has been tracking for 20 years the impact of self-reliance on the human body and mind. And just let me give you a couple real quick statistics. People who pursue a life of self-reliance are more likely to experience the following things with higher frequency than those who have meaningful and vulnerable relationships. They're more likely to engage in binge drinking, cannabis use, truancy, and criminal substance abuse, and all other things connected to escapism. That's something. Simply by trying to isolate ourselves from each other, we are actually destroying physically and mentally, emotionally, our own selves. 
people who fail to have meaningful and vulnerable relationships. And by meaningful and vulnerable, we could include accountability. People who refuse to be accountable are nearly twice as likely to experience depression, anxiety, sickness, and uh, be immunocompromised. There is literally an epidemic in our world today that can be defined as refusing to have true and meaningful relationships. I think that's scary. I think it's scary, and before we're going to go too far into this, I think it's important for us to recognize a few things, that if that's what the world is, and that's what our nature is, and that's what America is striving for, and society in general approves of, what should we be doing instead? This same study outlines what they call meaningful and vulnerable relationships, and it says this, they're typified by open dialogue, outlets for real emotion, finding purpose outside of oneself, and having someone to help you accomplish your aspirations. That's what a meaningful, vulnerable relationship looks like. And I'll tell you what, that's a beautiful picture. In contrast to what we see so often, and what's so true about our own human nature, we are supposed to be people searching for meaningful and vulnerable relationships, because that's exactly what God created us to be. God created us to do that. In fact, God created this wonderful institution of which we're a part. We're here celebrating in this very day the idea of the church, the place where we can come and find meaningful and vulnerable relationships, where we can find people who, all these things we talked about, open dialogue, sharing of true emotions, someone to, to, to meet and help us accomplish our aspirations. These are the kinds of things the church is supposed to be. The church was designed to be this. The church was designed to be the community in which we can come together and support one another, be accountable to one another, and accountable with one another. And that is supposed to be the very diagnosis, the very centerpiece, the, the very central aspect from which the church is to flow out into the world. And yet, deep within us, there's something twisted that pushes back against that. It says don't trust. Don't share, don't open up. Stay in your silo, isolate, be reliant on yourself. And what we need to recognize is we do it to our own detriment. We do it to our own detriment. God's created the church to bring the most out of existence. You remember what Jesus famously said in John chapter 10 and verse 10? He said, I have come that you might, do you remember? Have life. And how did he say it? And have it to the fullest. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus instituted the church. That's why Jesus continues his ministry through us today. Because he wants us to have life and he wants us to have the fullest expression of life that we can. And I'm going to contend today that we're not going to be able to have the fullest life that we can have if we can't have that life together. And we can't have a life that is accountable to one another and a life that is accountable with one another. If you have your Bibles there in front of you, you might open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at this verse in a couple different, this passage, in a couple of different translations. It's going to form the basis of our opening statement here this morning as we look at this topic of finding a discipline of accountability towards other people. How do we invite other people into a vulnerable relationship with us? How do we open up ourselves to a vulnerable relationship with others? How do we get to a point where people can meaningfully speak encouragement and truth to us, and we can do the same them. Paul's going to invite us to uh, explore a context of how to do this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read this two times, once from the NIV. 
you'll follow along in your translation as I read this. It actually starts up verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known, made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. While you're still right there, let's look at it again, this time by the NTE. My job is to make clear to everyone what the secret plan is, the purpose that's been hidden from the very beginning of the world in God who created all things. This is it, that God's wisdom in all its rich variety was to be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places through the church. This was God's eternal purpose, and he's accomplished it in King Jesus, our Lord. In this verse, in this, this passage, in these verses, we have before us uh, what I'm going to suggest are three ways that we can begin to understand the importance of and open ourselves to this nature of, of accountability, uh, of having the kinds of relationships that allow us to support and encourage one another and be encouraged and support one another. If you're a note taker, these are the three words that I would ask you to write down and think of. Design, display, and direction. Design display, and direction. And they go like this. Accountable and substantial relationships, accountability, are the design of God to be displayed by the church and follow the direction of Christ. Now, what we're going to find is that all three of those come right from this passage. All three of those are right here in the passage. First of all, we have the design. This is the design of God. Notice what it says here. The purpose from the very beginning, verse 9. Paul is saying from the very beginning, the purpose, the very reason. This is how we are wired. This is how we are created. This is what we were supposed to be. It is by the design of God. Secondly, to display it through the church. Look at verse 10. Made known to the rulers and authorities. How? Through the church. When we find ourselves accountable to and with one another, what we're going to find is that God is displaying his wisdom through us to the church, or as the church, to the world. And we'll see, not just the world, beyond. Finally, third, direction. Under the direction of Christ. Verse 11, he accomplished this in King Jesus. He accomplished this by Jesus Christ. That's the means by which he did it. Following the example of Jesus, we can unlock what it means to be in deep, meaningful, accountable relationships with other people. Let's look at the first one. The first one is design. The first is design. It's been this way from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, as famously, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good that man be alone. He needs somebody. He needs, he needs connection. He needs a partnership. He needs uh, accountability. He needs support. You know what? When we fight so rigidly for individualism, we fight so hard for isolation, we put our walls up and we push people away, we are actually pushing back on the very thing God created us to be. It should be difficult for us. We are pushing back against the very nature in which we were created. Unfortunately, in today's world, that's become very easy and very normal, and very natural. 
But what's funny about that is that the church is actually designed to open up to us the most human part of being human. And that's the reality that we need each other. We were made to need each other. We weren't made to be islands. We weren't made to be siloed. We weren't made to be separated. We were made to be united. We were made to be accountable to each other and accountable with each other. Listen to some of the ways that the Bible describes this. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. We're supposed to be strong enough to carry our own luggage. No, that's not what it says. We're supposed to be strong enough to take care of all of our own business. That's not what it says. We're supposed to be strong. Why should we be strong? So that we can help carry others. That's the whole purpose of the strength that God gives us. It's not for us. It's for others. That's why he helps us to be strong. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. That's why we were made. To look around and say, I am a part of a big community of people, all of whom are more important to me than I am to me. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul says when you get a handle on who Christ is, when you get an understanding of what he's done for you, when you get an understanding of of how much he loves you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself wanting to reach out. You're going to find yourself wanting to be in connection with and support of one another. Because as he values us, we learn to value each other. And that's where accountability comes in. It'll help us to accomplish our goals. We look at these things and we see that from the vantage point of what what we can do for others. But there's also the part that accountability provides for us. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, exhorting one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with grace in your heart to God. Did you hear the the continuity of that? The, 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 The unity of that? The cohesiveness of that? Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all. All y'all doesn't say that, but it should, because that's what it means. Let the, let the word of God dwell in, in me. I'll, I'll let it dwell in me, and you let it dwell in you, and, and I'll keep mine, and you... No, it doesn't say that. That, that, is, a, that is a collective y'all. That's, a, that's, that's where the word comes in. That's such a great word. The English language needs to open itself to y'all. Dwell in all y'all richly, because it's communal, because it's connected. We celebrate together, we worship together, we grow together, we learn together. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. Notice in that passage, confess your sins to one another. Boy, there from the right there, we just are already off that train, aren't we? The last thing that a person who doesn't trust somebody wants to do is confess a weakness, a need, a burden, let alone a sin. But what does it say happens when we get into a relationship where we're trusting one another so that we can pray for one another? Why? So that we can be healed. Because the prayer of a righteous man affects much. There's good that comes from this. When we keep ourselves from the unity that the church is supposed to be about, we keep ourselves from the blessings God wants to give us. 
when we keep ourselves from the accountability that comes from being able to share life with somebody else in a deep and meaningful way, we keep ourselves from the blessings that God wants to pour into our lives. God is, God's blessings are restricted by the reality of our inability, unwillingness to connect and trust and love one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Encourage one another and build up each other. Who couldn't use encouragement in their life? Really, I mean, think about your own life right now. Could you benefit from somebody who comes alongside you and speaks truth to you in an encouraging and loving way? Could you be better off by having someone who, who is intentionally focused on helping to bring light into your life? And God says that's exactly what we're supposed to be for one another. All that to say what? This is the design of God. This is the design of God. That we be accountable in what scientists call meaningful and vulnerable relationships. Number two, display. The main phrase here is made known. There in the NIV it's called, it said made known. This is made known. This is presented, proclaimed shouted from the mountaintops. It's something undeniable that everyone will see. It's supposed to be contagious. It's supposed to be invasive. It's supposed to be, uh, I was going to say an epidemic, but the, right now we're still, it's too, too soon, too soon. Jesus says it like this, John 13, 33. Everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen to that. How will they know? Because we have it on our signs, because we wear it on our t-shirts, because we tell everybody. No, they're going to know it because they see it. They see the love that we have for one another. There's supposed to be a light that shines out of this building and into this community that says, you know, the people that go in that building, they love each other. And I can see it. It's proclaimed. It is undeniable. It is evident. Everywhere I look, I see the love that they have for one another. Because Jesus says, everyone will know. And this is how. John 17, the glory, the Jesus speaking here, the glory you gave me, I have given to them so that they may be one, just as we, Jesus speaking, are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be completely one. Why? Listen, so the world will know. So the world will know. How will the world know? Unity. How will the world know love? How will the world know? Because they look and they go, there's just something about those people. They are so vulnerable to each other, accountable to each other, connected to each other, in relationship with one another. You know, if we take this idea and really apply it wholeheartedly, self-reliance, walls of division, independent spirit, just begin to wash away as we recognize that's not what's important. And we recognize what a powerful testimony that is to the world. In a world of people who are so fixated on and brought up in independent, siloed, um, self-reliant world, the vision of people who are unified and connected demonstrates, displays God to the world. But you notice it doesn't just say to the world. Did you notice that? Because it talks about the heavenly realm. 
This will be a display to the heavenly realm. To, to the heavenly realm. What's he even talking about? Not just to the world, but to the heavenly realms. Let me say this to you. If God created us for unity, what does Satan want? If God created us knowing it's not good for man to be alone, what does, what does Satan want? He wants disunity. He wants man to be alone. He wants separation. He wants isolation. He wants independence. He wants self-reliance. When we are living that way, we're falling right into his kingdom. But when we stand up and be the church, they will know we are Christians by our love. Suddenly, the gates of hell begin to quake because that's not Satan's kingdom at work anymore. And we who were once slave to sin and under his thumb, we who never fully appreciated our worth, our value to each other, and the impact we can have, suddenly begin to see what it's like to live in God's plan. Third, it's under the direction of Jesus Christ. It's under the direction of Jesus Christ. It is accomplished in Him. It is accomplished in Him as we walk with Him as He walked. And how did He demonstrate that? On the cross we have the most complete picture of a vulnerable relationship that we could see. A meaningful, significant relationship as he demonstrated willingness to walk alongside us to bear the price of our sins on our behalf, on sins that we couldn't pay for, that he did. And as we think about those last moments of his life there ebbing away on the cross, isn't it powerful that he still was pouring out compassion on others around him? Even in his dying moments, looking at those dying alongside him with compassion. Even in his dying moments, looking down from the cross at the very ones that were crucifying him and saying, don't hold this against them. Father, forgive them. They're not even aware of what they're doing. That's love. That's devotion. That's an example that we learn from. And that's an example that we follow. We have to have the head of Christ as he was on the cross. And by that I mean the mind. We have to think like him when he saw the world as needful of his compassion. We need to have the hands of Christ. Christ was always willing to reach out and give a hand. He was always reaching out to help. He was always reaching out to comfort. We need to have the feet of Christ. Christ was constantly moving towards the hurting, moving towards the needy, moving towards relationships. And in doing that, being the head and the hands and the feet of Christ, we come closer to what Paul writes about in Galatians 2 when he says famously in verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It means being willing to die to our pride being willing to die to our isolation, being willing to die to our self-reliance, and being willing to 
accept and embrace the vulnerable, meaningful relationships that can come from accountability. Let me wrap up. All of these things are possible on a basis of trust. In the very beginning, remember what I said? People are not in accountable relationships because they don't trust. And one of the things that will keep us from having those kinds of relationships is an unwillingness to trust. One of the reasons that we don't trust is because we know each other. <laughs> we know ourselves. But you see, what we're striving to embody is not who we have been, but who Christ is. And if you're needing an area to set some spiritual goals, and I suggest that no greater goal area could be found than the simple and yet profoundly impossible task of being like Jesus. Because as you and I strive in our individual lives to be like him, we allow for him to shape us and change us into people who are worthy of the trust that accountability can come through. He calls us to be humble. He calls us to be loving. He calls us to be unified. He calls us to be encouraging and supportive of one another. And every step that we take in trying to be like that is a step that leads to greater unity of the church, a greater display to the world of who we are and whose we are and closer to the one that leads us by his direction. A design of God on display for all to see under the direction of Christ. There were a lot of mornings I didn't want to get up at 5.15, especially cold days. Get up and go out and scrape the car so that I could drive across town to get sweaty. But I couldn't stand the thought of Mike standing outside the gym, looking at his watch and seeing where I was and not finding me there. And knowing that he was going to be there for me, help me to step up into discomfort and help me attain my goals. This week I want to leave you with a very specific prayerful request. Spiritually speaking, who's your workout partner? We have been for weeks talking about setting and working towards spiritual goals. Who's the person that you confide in, that you trust, that you're working alongside with? I want to say it's really incidental, coincidental that it's not coincidental, it's, it's, it's God's providence. But I'm standing here presenting this, and I know on the other side of that wall right there is a bulletin board advertising journey group. And I just keep thinking, what, what an awesome opportunity to really develop accountability and spiritual support and, and love and encouragement and unity. These small groups that are designed to do just that. And I really would pray for you to be deeply involved in that because I think it offers this kind of opportunity. But I really want to encourage you to think seriously about who your workout partner is. Who are you going to count on? And how can you follow the design that God has for you to display to the world the love of Christ as Jesus directs us closer to one another in meaningful relationships? You know, that meaningful relationship 
that we have with one another through Jesus, there's a reason that that's so natural for us to think about. And I think it should be because when we talk about a meaningful relationship and accountability and openness, the transparency that comes, what could be more transparent than the relationship that Jesus Christ invites us to have with him? A relationship that starts from the basis of us saying, I need you, Jesus. You have the answers. I have the questions. You have the payment. I have the debt. You have the salvation. I have the sin. I need you. That openness and accountability that brings us to the very first step in our journey with Jesus is the same openness and accountability that brings us into relationship with Jesus' people. So this morning, I just want to leave that with you. Who are you open and accountable with? And let me say that if you've not taken that first step on the journey with Jesus that requires you to be open and accountable with him, that he stands ready to welcome you. And he says to you, I know you do have the sin, Jesus says, and I do have the salvation. He says, you do have the debt and I I do have the payment. He says, you do have the need and I do have the answer. And he would love to open that to you and begin a relationship with you. If you've never named him as your Lord, if you've never put him on in the waters of baptism, we want you to know today can be your day. If we can help with this or in any other way, our leaders stand in the back of this room. We'd love to welcome you, pray with you, help you in any way that we can while we stand and while we sing.